Hello, and welcome to a brand new podcast called Ranking Thrones. I am James Kelly. And I'm Evan Camacho. So, uh, I'm a huge fan of this wonderful podcast you should check out called Totalis Rankium. They went through all of the emperors of Rome, and then they went through the, they're currently going through the American presidents, and what they like to do was tell their stories and then rank their their qualities. And uh, I thought that was a lot of fun, and I've spent a lot of time reading all and perusing through all of George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series, including all the expanded books outside of the main series. Of which there are many. Yes, there are quite a few. And uh, the recent book that he came out that's very polarizing, Fire and Blood, just dropped. And it's a wonderful book that's written in a completely as a history book. And I thought it'd be fun to do to kind of do Totalis Rankium style podcast for the fictional Targaryen kings. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to bring along Evan, who is a show- fan of the show. All right. Uh, uh, but I I will confess, and I will probably get a little bit of flack for this. I've never actually read the books. Well, it's fine, and that's the perfect dynamic, man, for the show, is that he comes in fresh, so I get to tell the stories like they're actual real-life kings. And uh, Evan and I are both history fans, and so we'll, we'll judge these, uh, these fictional kings and one queen on their merits mm-hmm. as, a, as a ruler. And so why don't you go ahead and explain the, uh, the sort of positioning as well as the, the different... Uh, the different ways that they'll be judged. Okay, yeah. So every week we're going to rank a king, one of the kings and queen who sat on the Iron Throne, and uh, that's our specific criterion for now. We're not going. Is that the is that the person has to sit on the Iron Throne as a king or queen? They they cannot be a claimant. So we're not going to cover Stannis or the Blackfires yet. Maybe. If you guys want to, we'd be more than happy to. But for now, it is purely a... This, this is purely... If you have sat on the Iron Throne and you've been called king of all seven kingdoms. Now, also, just a note, um, we th- the goal right now for this podcast, un- unless the Winds of Winter comes out and something happens... We're we're going to start with Aegon the first and end with Joffrey, the first. Mm-hmm. Yes. We will not cover Tommen because Tommen's reign has not ended in the books. Right. In the books, people. Yes. In we, the books. we know what happens in the show. At least you should. <laughs> well, well, you never know. <laughs> well, if you haven't uh, watched, that's that's another thing. That's that's one thing. So there yeah. may be some there may be some potential spoilers from the from the show, but continue on. Yeah. Oh, and also because because we're showing following book continuity, there will be some significant differences towards the end with Robert and with Joffrey. And uh, also remember, because we're not following book show continuity, Cersei is not Cersei the first. She is only the the mother of of King Tommen and King Joffrey. Right. So the categories we're going to go through. First, I'm going to go through the. The life of the king or queen, mm-hmm. and Evan will chime in with his um, thoughts. Right, and then after that, we're going to have have three specific categories. The first category, the king, and on a scale of 
first we're going to ca- count as points the the time that the person was in charge, right? Because that because that is ultimately a, a major point is how long you're able to live and govern the kingdom, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. But then we we have a ten point scale. Each of us rank offers ten points on how much we think this person was as a king. We right. we talk about all the things that they did as king that we that we haven't already covered in the the life portion and we just reflect on them and judge them exactly then we cover the 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 next category which was is the warrior mm-hmm. in which we cover how much was this king or queen uh, as a warrior how much did they lead at war how much were they a commander how much were successful were they at maintaining a peace sometimes we might comment on mm-hmm. And just how how they were, as in handling all those sorts of military affairs. Mm-hmm. Lastly, no, not lastly. Third, we're going to cover the the juicier and scandalous part: madness and misrule. Right. So this how category, well, what well, uh, this go. is an interesting one because it's a matter of like, okay, how, what what happened during their reign that could deject from what they were doing that was good. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be one or the other. It can be both. It can be just that this ruler, even if they're not necessarily a bad person, they're not managing the the kingdom well. Right. Or they're just mad. And we'll cover as we go through these wonderful Targaryens, some that may have been literally mad and some that were more metaphorically mad. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And there, believe me, there are plenty of examples in both categories, unfortunately. Yes. Well, unfortunately for this fictional world, fortunately for us, it's just fun stuff. Well, it gives us a, it gives us a very ripe depiction of real-life rule. Yes. Well, as uh, Evan is a bit more of a fan of medieval kings, and so he'll be able to chime in with a couple apt comparisons to mm-hmm. some actual people. Right. Next, uh, and this is the lower category, portrait. We're just going to look at how the king or queen looks and just judge them on how their appearance is. It's right. uh, on a five-point scale, so it's lower. It's, it's do they look, either look like a king, queen, or do they look, do they look uh, regal? Yes. And also, is that a face that commands respect? Or is that a face that just is kind of pushover? Mm-hmm. Unofficial category that's just fun for me to ask every time for Evan will be cinematic sh- cinematic slash show potential. Right. As we know, HBO, as of recording this, is is uh, planning to do their first spinoff show, which is not called The Long Night, according to George R. R. Martin, but should be called The Long Night, mm-hmm. probably. And uh, And so... According to Martin himself, a lot of Fire and Blood is being considered and developed for potential spinoff shows, and so we're going to judge whether or not this is a good source. Mm-hmm. And finally, the main category, which is the ultimate real point of, of contention and the real deciding factor, which is Dragon or Dud. Mm-hmm. We're going to ultimately decide, regardless of the score, whether or not this, this king is worth remembering. And now, keep in mind, when we say rem- we, we 
extremely stress that point, remembering. Not if this person was a great uh, king or a good king. This person could be absolutely the worst possible king ever. But is this king, like, important? Right. Did this, did this ruler affect history in a way? Yes. And so we'll definitely be covering that. So that's how the show is going to work. So I hope you guys join us in this wonderful, fun journey. So, starting off with our mm-hmm. first, the first Targaryen king, Aegon the First. Yes, or otherwise known as Aegon the Conqueror. Yes, and that covers uh, the next little sub sub fun thing, which is: Does he have a nickname? He's mm-hmm. he was known as Aegon the Conqueror, Aegon the Dragon Lord, and Aegon the Dragon. Mm-hmm. I'm sensing a bit of a dragon motif here. Yes. <laughs> so. Also, just a fun thing to compare it to the, the show that introduced a lot of us to this wonderful world. Is Aegon mentioned in the show? He's uh, mentioned quite a bit, as I call. Specifically, he's always referenced as the guy who forged the Iron Throne as <laughs> the man who united the Seven Kingdoms. Um, but per se, he's not mentioned a huge amount as a figure. He's almost like this legendary sort of figure. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I mean... We'll get into it, but he's definitely, like, inspired by people like William the Conqueror. Yes. Of just, like, this this legendary, like, kind of, like, founding figure. Right. You know, uh, sidebar, like, mm-hmm. looking at English history... Yeah. Why was there no king after William named William? Yes, there was. There was? His son. Oh. William II. His son was oh. William II. It was William... William the First, William the Conqueror, William the Second, and then Henry the First. Henry the First was one of his sons. Oh, yes. Well, just it just seems odd that like there, there's only like two. It's like yeah. it seems like that that'd be the name they'd go for. Well, there's a. <laughs> well, remember William, in the language, isn't William. It's Wilhelm. Ah. Uh, German or French. Yeah. And and uh, the British will be. Quick, to, quick not to be remembered by this, but there was a long time that for the Georgians, half German. Yeah. And George I didn't speak a lick of English. Many of, their, many of the British monarchs didn't actually speak a lot of English. Yes. Because English was a language for the lower class. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Well, that's history, people. Right. It's different. So What we think of English is kind of like what a Cockney accent would sound like, or a <laughs> Southern accent, whereas yeah. most... Nobleman uh, spoke French. Yeah, spoke that was French, the... a dialect of French. So it was a very bizarre. You go Romance. back. And, it, if, it if was... you went back in, if you went back in time, it would be very bizarre sounding. You'd recognize the language a little bit, but it would be very. It would still be very foreign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, languages change. <laughs> yes. Fun tangent, but let's get back a little bit to the main thing. Mm-hmm. So, the sources, it's Fire and Blood. The World of Ice and Fire is the other main source for this show, but uh, the World of Ice and Fire just kind of gave us a preview for for most of Aegon's story in Fire and Blood. So, that's our source. Yep. Although, again, he is mentioned a couple times in, uh, in the A Song of Ice and Fire. But just like in that legendary capacity, they don't really get into who he was. And so 
we have to rely on fire and blood and and uh, the world of ice and fire to really get an idea of who Aegon the man was. Right. So, the life of Aegon the first. Mm-hmm. Yes. The Targaryens were one of the noble families in the Valyrian Empire. The Valyrians were this great eastern empire that commanded dragons and ruled most of the east. It was the Valyrians who were responsible for the race known as the Andals to invading into Westeros out of fear of the Valyrians' conquest, as well as also the Rhoynar. That's why in the the oaths and uh, declaration of the titles of the kings of Westeros. It's always mentioned the first men, the first people who were on Westeros of the mm-hmm. human race. And uh, then it was the Andals who came in fleeing from the Valyrians and then the Rhoynar. So Valyrian Empire is very important mm-hmm. to the history yeah. of Westeros. Valyrian Empire is kind of the, roughly the equivalent of uh, the Roman Empire. Very much so. And we'll get a little bit more into that as we go on. So, Daenys the Dreamer was blessed with the Targaryen gift of foresight. She foresaw the doom of Valyria and convinced her father, Aenar Targaryen, to leave. At the time, Aenar was ridiculed. The Targaryens escaped the doom with the dragons, with a young hatchling named Valerian in the company. As for the doom itself, there is no real consensus other than it happened. Yeah, plenty of people want to offer explanations in this in the series. Um, there's some that just explain it was just a natural disaster. Some people want to explain explain that it was actually just a consequence of the Valyrians digging too deep into their volcanic mountains mm-hmm. and that caused the the eruption, as well as maybe the gods playing a part in it. It's all very very divisive. There's no real explanation beyond that the Great Valyrian Empire fell apart by a natural disaster. And when that disaster happened, the Targaryen family were the only family left with dragons. But when they landed on their seat of Dragonstone, they did not actually look to conquer Westeros for a century. Right. The Targaryens were more mostly fo- focused on the east and perhaps an attempt at reconquest of Valyria. Right. Several generations passed, and eventually we got to our main man of this episode, Aegon Targaryen. Aegon married his two sisters, Rhaenys and Visenya. Mm-hmm. This follows the idea of the Valyrian's tradition of sister marrying brother, they did this because they believed that it helped preserve the bloodline and preserve their ability to control dragons, which only the Valyrians seem to possess. As we will go on, is this really necessary? And are the Valyrians really so exceptional for being able to control dragons? We'll kind or of look into that a little bit. 50-50 on those. Well, mm, there's this one interesting case that we'll get into that makes throws a whole wrench in the, that theory, mm-hmm. which does seem pretty strong, but then there's like, mm, maybe. Uh, so, of his two wives, 
Visenya, he married because he was supposed to, and Rhaenys because he wanted to. Right. Visenya was the serious and more stern one, although she had a pet monkey and she that she dressed as her fool. <laughs> Rhaenys loved to ride dragons. She was much less a warrior and more a lover, and she was suspected of being unfaithful to Aegon. During the few times that Aegon was not with Rhaenys, she would spend her time with supposed lower company of actors and singers and just the sorts of people that were supposedly beneath her. Right. But it should be noted that Aegon spent about ten nights for every night he spent with he spent ten nights with Rainies for every one night he spent with Visenya. So it keeps keeps things balanced, as it were. <laughs> Westeros during this time was seven kingdoms and the wild and unchecked north beyond the wall. The wall had been constructed during the time of the First Men and existed well into the time that Aegon came to conquer Westeros. The seven kingdoms were never at peace, with some kingdoms at war with another at all times. Yes. Which is, is, war was the norm, not the not the exception. It's just a matter of like a, just feudal kingdoms. It, it really was that. It was just e- even when you had a kingdom of the of the region, mm-hmm. such as a king of the north, right. um, the Starks would o- often compete with the Boltons over supremacy over their their command of the north. Right. So it was, and when they were were settled on that, then it would be maybe the Vale is at war with the north. Maybe it's right. the Iron Islands is at war with the north. It's just endless fighting, endless, yep. endless fighting, and and it's never it's a it's a perpetual sort of whirlwind of backstabbing and and yeah, I thought you were going more. Sorry, no problem. So the seven kingdoms were never at peace, and during this time, the biggest king was Heron the Black, who was king of the Iron Islands and had successfully invaded the Riverlands. Heron built a massive and horrific castle dubbed Heron Hall. It was the largest castle in Westeros, and anyone who looked upon it looked on it with fear. Heron often would work his people to the point of death to build this castle, and it was seemingly unstoppable. It it seemed impenetrable. Heron was beginning to encroach on King Argilac of the Stormlands, when the conquest soon began. Mm-hmm. Argilac asked Aegon to come to his aid, promising him control of some lands that were in Heron's control. So Argilac had nothing really to offer offer Aegon. And he also went out of his way, though, to offer his, his do- Aegon to marry his daughter. Right. Aegon, instead, offered his friend and bastard brother, Oris Baratheon, to marry... Or is to marry Argilac's daughter. Argilac, who was known as Argilac the Arrogant, angrily sent the messenger's hands back, saying, These are the only hands your bastard will have. Jesus. They don't like bastards, as the series will make apparent time and time again. Yes. Aegon sent out ravens to all of the seven kingdoms that... And he, in those message, he, messages, he declared that he would now be the king of 
all seven kingdoms. Impressive. Aegon landed and defeated some small towns near where he nearby his landing point and started building a fort. This would be at first called the Aegon Fort. Mm-hmm. From that spot, he was crowned King of the Seven Kingdoms and declared certain people that were in this group to be part of his council, with Oris Baratheon being dubbed his right hand and therefore the hand of the king. First hand of the king. And I should also note that when Aegon did this crowning ceremony, the ordinary people that surrounded him all cheered wildly. They loved this. Yay. So, Aegon began his long campaign and had several early defeats. And he had some small victories. Whenever he and his sister's dragons got involved, he was victorious. Seems to be the the general norm. Mm-hmm. His first real test came when he approached the Riverlands. Lord Tully, who was bound to serve King Heron, immediately defected and swore instead to Aegon. Aegon immediately forgave his enemy, his supposed enemy of Lord Tully, mm-hmm. and named him Lord of the Riverlands. Which is where, where we get his, uh, his transformation now. Many of Heron's people were quick to abandon Heron and join Aegon. Nice. Heron had his remaining forces concentrated in Harrenhal. Harrenhal was such an amazingly strong castle, he was rightfully confident he could endure any siege. Aegon and Heron met under a peace banner. Heron refused to surrender, even knowing Aegon had dragons. He proudly boasted to Aegon, Stone does not burn. Aegon said to him in response, When the sun sets, so does your line. Nice. Aegon rode his dragon, Balerion the Black Dread, high into the sky to the point that it was nothing but a glint in the moon before descending and burning all of Heron Hall. Heron was right. Stone does not burn, but people do. And yep. all the food burns, and the wood that accompanies the the castle burns in the end everyone in the castle died and the great castle was utterly destroyed but not completely destroyed as as the rubble would constantly be used by mm-hmm. by many lords in the years to come very nice from the ashes of Harrenhal, aegon gathered the melted swords of his enemies and that became a habit of his, as right. we'll later see. Aegon then used conventional forces to conquer the Stormlands. There, Oris Baratheon challenged Argilac the Arrogant in battle. Argilac, who was told of Heron's fate, tried to avoid Heron's mistake by confronting his army outside his castle. <laughs> Oris Baratheon defeated Argilac despite being outnumbered and having the lower ground. Oris personally slayed Argilac in single combat. The lady of the castle, Lady Durandon, declared herself queen of the Stormlands and said that she would rather she would hold the castle. She said she would she and her people would die before surrendering the castle. Her people, however, did surrender and brought her before Oris naked and in chains. Oops. 
Oris ordered her chains removed, gave her a blanket, and told her how her father died. He ended up marrying Lady Durandon and became the Lord of the Storm's End, even going so far as to adopt House Durandon's word and sigil for House Baratheon. Very so, cool. In the end, Aegon's offer to, to King Argalact happened. Oris married Lady Durandon. Mm-hmm. Happily, by the way. Yes. Rare, but does happen. Yeah. Aegon then faced off the might of the South with King Lannister of, of Casterly Lock. The, some of these kings, by the way, they do have first names, but given what's about to happen to them, you'll understand why I don't really feel the need to mention them. Right. King Lannister of Casterly Rock and King Gardner of Highgarden brought a massive army to crush Aegon's forces. Aegon took advantage that they were fighting on dry grass to burn the field and decimated the massive army. King Lannister survived and bent the knee and was allowed to maintain his lands as Lord of, of the of Casterly Rock. House Gardner, however, was wiped out by the battle, and the Castellan of of his house of High Garden surrendered, and and the the Castellan of of High Garden was a was a man known as Tyrell, and that became House Tyrell, Lords of the Reach. Nice. After the consolidation and gathering of numerous territories, Rhaenys and Visenya were sent on diplomatic missions to have the respective King of the Vale and the Princess of Dorne surrender. Visenya flew out on her, her dragon Vagar to the Vale. King Aaron was a little boy, and when he saw Queen Visenya, he was charmed and asked if he could fly on the dragon. Senye said yes, and King Aaron's mother approved. <laughs> and and the saying went that a king flew on the on went on to that dragon and landed a lord. <laughs> nice. King Aaron surrendered his crown and was named Lord of the Lord of the Vale. Rainies arrived in Dorne to meet the old princess Maria Martel who was called the Yellow to- Toad of Dorm. Although obese and blind, she had a strong will, and she s- flat out said to Vicent- to Rainies that their words were unbent, unbroken. <laughs> she would never surrender Dorn. Yep. In the north, King Torin Stark marched to the south, passing his mostly impenetrable stronghold of the Neck. The Neck is a swampland, and so it's difficult to really go through and in- invade from there. Right, it's difficult to get an army through swampland, and a lot of ancient armies will find that out. Mm-hmm. But King Torin knew what had happened to all of the previous kings who fought against Aegon the Conqueror. He had heard of what happened to Heron and his smoky castle. He had heard what happened to King Lannister. He had heard what happened to King Gardner. He had heard what happened to Argilac the Arrogant. 
Many of his northern lords, though, tried to convince him to fight on and that northern strength would prevail against the dragons. Mm-hmm. Instead, King Torin sent out his brother under a banner of peace. There, ne- terms were negotiated, and King Torin bent the knee and offered his sword to Aegon the Conqueror. He was then forever known as the King Who Knelt. Mm-hmm. But it should be noted that his people did not suffer from war as so many other lords. Yeah. Lord Torin Stark got to keep his sword while the Lannister swords, the Gardner swords, and the Durandon swords were gathered up onto his onto the soon to be iron throne that that Aegon built. Whereas Torin Stark's men survived. Yeah. So just pointing that out. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's pragmatism. Be pragmatic. There's, yeah, there, there's, you can go out like a man, or you can, or you can live a little bit longer. He made the right call. It was, a, there was no way he could have. Well, could he have won? Probably not. We'll, we'll get into this, an interesting story next. So. Aegon lastly went to the biggest city in Westeros, Old Town. King Hightower, surprisingly, opened his gates under the advice of the High Septon, who resided in Old Town. There, the High Septon crowned Aegon as the lawful king of the Seven Kingdoms. Aegon chose this moment to officially declare that his reign had begun. And from that point on in Westeros... The history of the years would be known as A.C. Aegon's Conquest and B.C. Before the Conquest. Mm-hmm. After a little time of peaceful consol- consolidation, Aegon turned to conquer Dorne. Aegon led a force, as did Oris Baratheon, and another force was also led by another lord. They arrived to find most of the Dornish castles abandoned. The few that had people were there barely put up a fight. When they reached the Dornish capital, all of the nobles, including the Yellow Toad of Dorne, were gone. Mm-hmm. Aegon declared that he had conquered Dorne and put a, a Tyrell lord as the lord of Dorne. However, once Aegon left, the Dornish immediately re- regained all of their castles and executed many. The massacres were extremely severe. Oris Baratheon was held as a hostage during this time and is and his right hand was cut off by one of the Dornish. Jesus. Oris was eventually freed from and resigned as Hand of the King, saying that without his right hand, it was now a poor joke for him to stay on as Hand of the King. Mm. With this humiliation, Aegon decided to go for a more punitive method. Right. And he sent Rhaenys to begin the start of punitive reigns on the Dornish. The Dornish soldiers, though, managed to actually successfully loose a bolt that hit Rhaenys' dragon Meraxes' eye at, that killed the dragon. Like Rhaenys probably died from the fall. Or did she? Dunno. There's no clear, clear re- re- reveal of what exactly Rhaenys' fate was, although we'll get to that a possibility of that in just a little bit. Aegon, having lost the woman he loved, began 
to become even more wrathful on the Dornish, as he and Visenya began to burn down many of the villages and towns, slaughtering thousands. But the Dornish survived and in turn burned down villages and castles in the south. The most horrid of their back and forth was that a Dornish man went to a wedding and slaughtered the husband. They then took their turns raping the bride and her ladies before selling them off into slavery. Damn. It got nasty and it got bloody. The war with Dorne continued for several years and was going absolutely nowhere, with both sides losing people and lands. The Yellow Toad of Dorne died, and the new Prince of Dorne then curiously sent envoys for a peace negotiation. Okay. Many of the... Hmm? As I'm like, okay. All right, yeah. Many people demanded that Aegon refuse to accept any terms other than Dorne completely capitulating and surrendering control to the Iron Throne. One of these especially was Visenya, who strongly argued that anything other than Dornish capitulation would be a complete and other failure for this war. Someone suggested that they, that Aegon have the, the, the Dornish princess who was sent be sexually abused and payment for the the disgrace that the the lady had received hmm. the southern lady right Aegon though refused to let them do that fair enough the the envoy gave Aegon a letter Aegon read the letter silently on the iron throne he grasped the throne tightly as he rose, with blood on his hands. Aegon then flew off to Dragonstone and remained there for several days before announcing that the war was over and Dorne was independent from the Seven Kingdoms. Ooh. What was in the letter? No one knows. And I think George R. R. Martin intends for us to never know. Yeah. The World of Ice and Fire thinks that it may have had something to do with Rainey's. Whether that she was alive and a hostage in Dorne, maybe it was a love letter that she had written right before she had died. Fire and Blood suggests that it was a long list of people who had died because of the war, but then the the writer of, of Fire and Blood <clears throat> says that that's not likely because Aegon just knew the price of war and that wouldn't have been enough. Why did he go to Dragonstone before announcing this? We don't know. Whatever the reason, Aegon the Conqueror was swayed. The Yellow Toad of Dorne had done what Heron the Black, Argilac the Arrogant, King Lannister and King, King Gardner and Torin Stark could not do. She had defeated Aegon the Conqueror. Mm. But then the question to immediately ask is, at what cost? Right. It's as much a fault on Aegon for insisting to try to conquer Dorne mm -hmm. and the Yellow Toad of Dorne willing to have thousands upon thousands die just to remain independent. I mean, that happens. Sometimes you can't, sometimes you can't reason. Sometimes you really can't reason with them. Yeah. 
Aegon then ruled the next 24 years in peace and tranquility. His son Aenys got married to Alyssa Valerian and gave birth to five kids, so his line was fairly secure. Yes. Aegon was in Dragonstone in 37 AC, telling his grandsons Aegon and Viserys stories about the conquest when he collapsed. He was taken to his bed and died. Hmm. And so that's the story of Aegon Targaryen. Right. First of his name. Mm -hmm. So, first category on on the ranking part of Ranking Thrones, the king. Yes. Aegon conquered six of the seven kingdoms of Westeros and ruled the seven kingdoms for 37 years. So he automatically gets 37 points for his time as king. Very good. Notes for him as king. Aegon had all of his enemies surrender their swords. He had them all melted down to create a massive and dangerous throne that was incredibly sharp and difficult to sit on. Aegon intended the Iron Throne to not be comfortable to sit on. He wanted it to reflect the danger and nature of power. Right. It's unpredictable. It's not... You're not... You're not supposed to like really where you are, or at least you're not supposed you're not supposed to be at ease from where you are. Yes. After Aegon, everyone would always interpret people cutting themselves on the Iron Throne as symbolic of the Iron Throne rejecting the person. Nice. And you have to remember that this Iron Throne is not the Iron Throne from the Game of Thrones TV show. Yes, and I'd actually I'd actually like to point that out for to for a very specific there's a there's images online that do a lot better job of showing what the iron throne is now everyone thinks the iron throne is maybe what at most seven eight feet tall yeah it's at most seven eight feet tall made of thorns and and it looks looks like a crown that's what we think of the book oh sorry of the of the series yeah well i mean like in the series there's the great line where the, the the scene between uh this uh Varys and and Littlefinger where they talk about how it's like oh a thousand blades taken from Balerion the Black Dread and it's like no it's not a thousand blades it's not even two hundred. In the book in in the book it actually is a thousand enemies. And the thing is this thing it's it's described as it's not it's not even it's big. It actually has its own staircase. It literally has its own staircase. And this thing's probably about thirty or forty feet tall. Yeah, it is gigantic. It like, is asymmetrical. Like it, it's huge. It's gaunt. It's kind of. It's almost kind of gangly looking. It is horrifying to behold. Yeah, yeah. So picture. I want you to picture. I want you to really picture this. This whole thing is the height of a double decker bus, if not if not taller. Yeah. So. So what we see in the in the in the series. For both practical reasons and iconic reasons, very good. But in terms of what the book what the book actually says it is, it's very off. Yes. As king, Aegon preferred to delegate most of the day-to-day administration to the lords and to his queens. Mm-hmm. He was always the supreme and final authority, though, on all matters of state, and would weigh in when asked. Right. Aegon preferred to allow the lands of each kingdom to preserve their own laws and tradition, he did not set a universal law for the realm. When he would visit any realm and weigh in on trials, he would always look to the masters and locals to explain the traditions and the precedents of the locals to render judgment. Right. 
Aegon, however, did make some major reforms to social justice for women. Lord infamously beat his wife to death with a thin rod. Jeez. He was brought before Queen Visenya and defended himself that, as her husband, he was her master. Visenya consulted with the High Septon. With Aegon's approval, Visenya did affirm that the husband was allowed to beat his wife. But he could only beat her with a stick as thick as the one he pr produced, which was about as thick as his thumb. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, though, in honor of the seven gods that the, the Andals worship, the Andals and the Roinar worship, he was only allowed to strike her six times, for the seventh god is the stranger who is the god of death and is the final strike everyone feels. Yeah. Because the man had struck his wife a hundred times, the wife's brothers were al each allowed to strike the man 94 times with a rod as thick as he used. And nice. he had a lot of, and she had a lot of brothers. <laughs> I said, make of that how you will. Yes. Aegon was always traveling. He spent six months each on Dragonstone and King's Landing, which was slowly being built up from right. this haphazard city. Right. King's Landing wasn't what, it, wasn't what it was yet. No, it wasn't. He originally didn't even have walls surrounding his capital city, and he only built them after several pirate raids convinced him that they were necessary. He built seven walls in honor of the seven gods. Although he wasn't a very pious man himself, he always made gestures and good faith towards the faith. Of course. Aegon would always make a habit of visiting his kingdoms and held long courts where everyone could visit him. He wanted people to be allowed to see their king and deliberate with him. Right. Visenya also had to convince Aegon that he needed an elite personal guard around him as the risk for assassination was too great, which she yeah. proved by cutting his cheek with her dagger right before his guards. Now, oof. She, she pointedly said, I could have killed you and no one could have stopped me. Aegon agreed and they formed seven elite men who took vows similar to the Night's Watch, forsaking all lands and potential fatherhood to serve as guardians of the king for life. Instead of the black that the Night's Watch took, they took the white. Mm -hmm. Thus forming the King's Guard. Nice. So, what do we think? I mean, the biggest thing is that, yes, this man was the, this man was a pragmatist, and he, and I think that actually comes from being a conqueror. You can't impose your will in one generation. It just doesn't really work like that. So I would have to give the guy a nine out of five. Sorry, a nine out of ten. <laughs> I will give him a nine out of ten too. And I think it's 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 super impressive that he was able to unite through conquest, yes, but he was able to unite a people that were were constantly at war and constantly fighting. Mm -hmm. And once he gained his power, there was no real hint of civil war. Right. Um, the only thing I, I can really fault him for is, well, we'll get to that, but he's really a model king because he's conscientious, but he's at the same time seen. Right. He's, uh, 
he's very good at just like slowly making some reforms where he can. Yes. He's good with the faith. He he's doing pretty much everything right. Agreed. Agreed. Next category, the warrior. So uh, obviously he conquered six of the seven kingdoms. Right. And but he had dragons, so that's still impressive. It's really impressive, uh, uh, like what he does and like everything he accomplishes. Mm-hmm. And again, these were very warrior people, right? The Westerosi, as um, it's later in Fire and Blood, they they say that the Westerosi are warriors and the the Eastern, uh, the the Pentoshi are are merchants. Yes. I will give him an eight. Me too. Me too. The only thing I would say he faults on was Dorn. Which is um, our next category. Right. Well, that's, and even then, that's a bit of an iffy topic. So, so the next category is madness and misrule. I can't say that, I, I cannot say that Aegon was mad. One could argue a little bit of misrule, though. I would argue, like, it's it, it sort of teetered on madness with, with, was his his obsession with, with, with Dorne. Dorn, where it soon became just like... Like... It, I, it, was, it was a bit much, to say the least. That being said, it, like, you can almost, like, under, you, you can very much understand, like, well... The woman he loved died, and so he couldn't really ignore that. No. And at the and same time, it, this was a kingdom that he needed to get rid of, that he needed to take care of. You know, I, I really don't... Like, it's just like the, the, the only thing that can really... That really is, like, misrule. Like, but, but he's such a good king. Yes. And it's like, it's not really, like... True madness, he didn't let that d- destroy him or consume him? No. I'm only going to go with two. Me too. Same as that. Same as that. I think it's just too low to... It's it's too low. And he did too much good, in my opinion, to be faulted for that. So, to recap so far, he's scored... He got 37... Years as king, mm-hmm. eighteen for the king, sixteen for the warrior, four for madness and mis- misrule, and now I'm going to send over to Evan a portrait for right. him to look at mm-hmm. and to judge. And uh, just if you want to look it up, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll probably attach it to the image of this podcast. Yes. Um. But you can also find this um, on a wiki of, of Ice and Fire mm-hmm. and also in uh, – oh, sorry, just trying to copy it, but it's <laughs> – A bit big. Technical difficulties. No problem. Uh, don't worry. It's it just happens. a sec. Yeah. All right. Send it. Done. Yes. Very strong, strong man. Very commanding. Mm-hmm. It's it's obviously a heroic image, but he... That's a face I can see that really commands respect. Right. 
Right. As we asked, does he look like a king? Yes, he does. I think it's perfect. Uh, for, for what type of king he is, I'd give him a five. Same. Same. Was okay. It very like with Aegon. Well, because Aegon's one. Aegon is very much. What, what's nice about Aegon being the first king, he's a very good baseline of what we can use for future series. Yeah. As we'll get into some of the other ones, some of these guys may not exactly measure up, but that's for Evan to find out and for me to cover. Right. So. With that total is 85. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty high, impressive score. Pretty impressive score, yes. And also remember, remember our last category. Uh, well, first before that, though, mm-hmm. cinematic slash show potential. What do you think, Evan? Very high. Very high cinematic because maybe not after his conquest, but definitely during his conquest, that's a whole season. That could be a whole season or series of movies right there. I definitely think, like, the Conquest and Dorne are, like, two really good, like, Lord of the Rings three-hour movies. Yes. The one interesting thing, though, like, that even, like, the, the Maesters mm-hmm. say is, like, that Aegon was a bit of a quiet man. He was, like, a very reserved conqueror. Interesting. He, he certainly has a charisma, but, like, it, he's he was something of an enigma. And so, I mean, he's kind of like Augustus in that way, where it's just, like, it's, like, Augustus, the the first Roman emperor, where it's just like it's like you could do a lot with that character if they chose to adapt him. Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting what what way they would want to go for him. Well, he'd be a very he, he. There's a very fine line with him because you're right. He's not a boisterous, arrogant conqueror. He's very much a soft-spoken, very pragmatic man. And as we're going to cover, there are several kings who are more warriors than they are kings. Yes. There are some kings that are, are more kings than warriors. Yeah. Aegon had the great gift that every medieval, kind of real-life medieval king, was that they wanted, where he was both. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, he was, he was very much a, a William the Conqueror. Yes. Where William was able to conquer England. And ruled for a fair amount of time in order to con- to consolidate. So but the final question, saying all that, is he a dragon or is he a dud? Undoubtedly, he is a dragon. Yeah, <laughs> we're kidding, yeah. Without, without, without a shadow of a doubt. He, I mean, he is not just a dragon, he's the dragon. <laughs> well, as Viserys would say in Game of Thrones, I'm the dragon! Yep. But, uh, yeah, no, he definitely deserves to be called a dragon, because he is. Like, he is definitely, like, Westeros is defined by him. Yes. He's a very interesting man just by himself. Mm-hmm. And he's just, like, such a great example of, of a model warrior, because he he doesn't rebel in his conquest no. by by punishing the his enemies. Right, but he isn't afraid to let people know that he is in charge. No, and so, like, he has the great balance of everything. So, an overall, a very good king. He is a, a very good king and a very fun first episode of this show. Yes. So, I wanted to thank you all for joining us, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Uh, I don't know who the next uh, king is, to be honest. So The next king is Aenys I, and okay. we'll see how he does. Okay. All I right. Don't know about him, so this should be fun. All right. See you then.